Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Listening to the Baptist Pulpit. Our speaker for today is Evangelist Calvin Allen. Calvin Allen rode a church bus in 1985. And then, about eight years later, in March of 1993, as a bus kid at Faith Baptist Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he was saved. He surrendered to the call to preach uh, about a year later. And then, He went off to Bible college. He was on staff at his home church at Faith Baptist in Milwaukee. Worked there for about 13 and a half years as an assistant, pastor, music director, soul winning, and discipleship uh, director. Then he's been in full-time evangelism for about six and a half years. And he preaches um, across the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, He's been married for 19 years and he has three children. Hope you enjoyed the message by Evangelist Calvin Allen. And amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me tonight, and if I can find mine, it's here somewhere. If you take our Bibles here tonight, I think I brought it over to the piano with me. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We'll start there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Normally, I would not end a revival on this type of message, but I just feel like that's what the Lord puts on my heart, and as you know from me being here in times past, if the Lord puts something on my heart, I'm just going to follow him. I was here one time a few years ago, and the Lord, I got up here to preach, and I turned to my text, and the Lord was like, nope, you're not preaching that tonight, and I've never had him do that to me, but, uh, and and then I said in my heart, I was like, Lord, I don't even know where that passage of scripture is. And as I was up here talking to you and the preacher said, he said, I could tell there was something going on. And I was like, Lord, I don't even know where this passage is. And I flicked my hand once that way and opened right to that passage and right to that outline in the Bible. So we want to mind the Lord tonight. I want to help you. I want to give you an illustration. Hopefully you'll never forget. And the grace and sufficiency of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. We'll go to number 11. Number 10 we preached out of last night. Hopefully your heart was blessed by that. We're going to go to the Word of God one more time. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. The Bible says this, are they ministers? Verse number 23 is where we'll start. Are they, are they, verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths or things causing death 
oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Sounds like Paul ought to write a book right now on how to live your best life now. Sounds like Paul in this passage here could write about the happy, happy joy of Christian life. Paul said, even the people that are persecuting me, he said, are they Israelites? Yes, I am. I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. He said at one point, he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law. He said, I am a Pharisee. I am blameless. He said, I'm a tribe of Benjamin of the stock of Judah, circumcised the eighth day. He said, I got all of it down and I'm still facing problems. We've heard people preach about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have heard them so vividly describe the Lord Jesus Christ that it literally would bring tears to my eyes to think of the suffering of our Lord and Savior. And I've read myself even medical descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he actually physically would have gone through at the cross that day. And But it has brought tears to my eyes. And we even rewind it a little bit, and we talk about the Passion Week of Jesus Christ and how he was beaten. And how he received what we call the scourge. That cat of nine tails, and we've preached that cat of nine tails on his back. We've talked about how glass and bone and metal would be intertwined into that. And he said, we, we had him almost tearing the Lord Jesus Christ right in half. But the apostle Paul said, I've gone through it five times. Received I 40 stripes, save one. 39 times. Paul said, I've gone through it all. He said in verse number 25, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and the day have I been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. It sounds like a broken record or a rap song right there. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils, he said, among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hungerings, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all those things... That which that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Paul said, I've got it on the outside, and I've got it on the inside too. It's coming at me from every angle. Paul said, Who is who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was a man that when he got saved, they said, there's no way that dude's saved. We're not accepting him into the church. Paul said, man, you think you're offended? He said, I burn with offense. But then he made this statement, verse number 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. My problems, my heartaches, my illness, my sickness, my shortcomings. Paul was dealing with a group that was glorying in and of themselves in the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11. And Paul said, if I'm going to glory, he said, I'm going to glory of the things which concern my infirmities. 
goes on to chapter chapter 12. And he said in verse number 1, It is expedient for me doubtless to glory when I come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, listen, I, I've gone through, I've seen these visions, I've had these revelations of the Lord. He said, I, but I, he said I, people would think I would glory in that. Verse number two, he said, I knew a man uh, for about 14 years ago in Christ, and whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. He said, such a one was called to the third heaven. And he said, I knew such a man, another different man. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that man was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for a man to utter. He said, of such a one will I glory. He said, I thank God that they happened to somebody else. I thank God for the vision that they saw. I thank God for the revelation that was given to them about things to come so glorious that it would be unlawful for me to speak about those things. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Paul could have written about the time where he got stoned outside of Derby and Lystra and he was caught up into the third heaven. Paul could have talked about the time that the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road came to him. Paul could have talked about the time where, remember he said that nobody taught me the doctrines that I know, but Jesus Christ personally taught me the doctrines that I know. I don't know. He may have had several encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ coming down. We don't know. He know he had visions and revelations, but I do know this. Paul said, I'm not going to glory in the things that I've done. I'll glory in what you do, but when it comes to myself, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. What a strange thing to glory in. He said, and lest I should be exalted above measure, verse number 7. By the way, at the end of verse number 6, he said, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth me to be, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said in the middle of all of this junk, in the middle of everything going on, in the middle of my mess, I got a message. I just want to talk to you about tonight. He said in the middle of all this junk going on in my life, at the middle of it, coming from this angle, the Pharisees are mad at me. The Sadducees are mad at me. Uh, uh, the Hebrews are mad at me. The, 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 the Sanhedrin are mad at me. The Christian brothers are mad at me. At one point, Peter himself is mad at me. He said, in the middle of it all, he said, I got a message from God. I, don't, I, I, really, I really don't even know why I'm preaching this message tonight. And I don't even know what you all are facing. I don't know what you've gone through. Most of you, we've not sat down and said, hey, I'm going through this. I'm facing this. But I know this. Whatever you may or may not be facing or whatever you just faced or whatever you are about to face, if you're not careful, you're going to go through all of that mess and miss the entire message 
that God wanted to give you. Can I illustrate it this way tonight? I'm going to use several people here tonight. Brother, if I could, if I could use you, Brother Daniel, and just stay where you are for right now. In a moment, I'm going to have you stand. Preacher, I'm going to use you in a moment. And we'll use, we'll use Colt here tonight. Don't miss this. The Bible says, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Colt, could you come up here for a minute? Colt is going to be, much like his parents and his youth pastor and his pastor, my thorn in the flesh. You thought there was going to be a good illustration, didn't you? <laughs> He's like, where's the rope? Is he supposed to tie me up or something? Cold's going to be my thorn in the flesh. The Bible says there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And this thorn in the flesh, you say, who gave him a thorn in the flesh? You've got two options in this story. It either came from God or it came from the devil. But whatever it came from, and by the way, in my life, it can come from both. When Job came, the thorn in the flesh in Job's life, he lost his children, he lost his castle, he lost his cattle, he lost his companion, he lost his own health. But listen to me tonight, but it was God. You say it was Satan that did it to him. Yes, but God is the one that picked him out to be picked on. Job was minding his own business, or if you're from Georgia, his own business, and uh, he was minding his own business, going about his business. He was serving God. He was sacrificing. The Bible says Job sacrificed every day of his life. Matter of fact, Job went so far, the Bible says he even did extra sacrifices for his children per adventure they sinned. Job was minding his own. Walking with God, the Bible says he was an upright man. He eschewed evil. He hated evil. He was a righteous man. He walked upright. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Satan comes to God and says, God, Job is serving you from naught. He's not doing it. He, there's, or he said, there's nobody serving you truly. There's nobody out there. And God said, hast thou considered my servant Job? God picked Job out to get picked on by the devil. By the way, if you're a Christian under the sound of my voice, nothing can pass over to you unless it passes through the Lord first. He said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. And this thorn, all you're going to do, Colt, you're just gonna, until I tell you to stop, you're just going to poke me. That's all you're going to do. Don't do it too hard. Paul said, I've got this thorn in the flesh I'm dealing with. Matter of fact, he, he said, I've been praying that it'll go away. And Paul said, Here, here's, here's, here's what the Christian life looks like a lot of times. I go over here and I'm trying to teach a Sunday school class and it's with me. I try to go soul winning and it's with me. I try to read my Bible in the morning and it's with me. 
I try to sing for the Lord. I try to play for the Lord, and it's still with me. I go to counsel with the preacher, and it's still with me. I, I, try, to, I try to sing in the choir, and it's still with me. I try to go to the Christian school, and it's still with me. I try to be a part of the youth activity, and it's still with me. No matter where I go, the thorn of the flesh goes with me. You stop for a minute. You know, I've heard it in the Christian life. We, we use a lot of cliches that aren't very scriptural. You know, there's no Bible verse on God helps those that help themselves. I was looking in the Bible the other day that, for something that said God don't like ugly. It's not in there. You know why? Because it said he loves the world and there's a bunch of uglies in there. You ever heard somebody say something like this? There's a silver lining in every cloud. What about when there isn't? There's a brighter day ahead. What about when there is no brighter day ahead? Hey, ha, this too shall pass, brother. What about when it doesn't pass? What about when it doesn't pass? It's easy to say that little cliche, isn't it? It's easy to say that when somebody's got a cold. It's not as easy when somebody has terminal cancer, is it? There's no silver lining in that cloud. There's no coming to pass for those that deal with, like a lady in our church that has multiple sclerosis. There's no coming to pass for a lady right now. She had to have a liver transplant in our church, and now she is dealing with heart failure on top of having her liver transplant several years ago. Guess what? It may not come to pass in her life. So what am I supposed to do? Go to the hospital and visit her and say, hey, just, just hang in there, Miss Winnie. It's going to come to pass because guess what? It's not coming to pass. It's coming to stay. There are folks all over this room who we would love to say, hey, your, your husband walked out on you. Your wife walked out on you. Guess what? This too shall pass. Well, guess what? It's not passing. It's there to stay. You were raised, many of you in this room, you were raised without a mother or you were raised without a father or you were given up for adoption when you were a little baby or you were abandoned by your family someday and we'd love to come to you and say, hey, there's a silver lining in every cloud. Well, guess what? Sometimes there is no silver lining in that cloud. I was raised by a 15-year-old mother. Listen, I can't go back and be unborn again. I, if I were looking today for my daddy, I don't know who he is. If I saw him face-to-face, -face, wouldn't know who he was. Guess what? It's not coming to pass. And everywhere I go, it doesn't matter where I go, it's going with me. When I go to church, guess what? I'm still a fatherless child. When I go over here, guess what? I was still raised by drunks and drug users. I was still raised around uh, putrid sin. It doesn't matter. It's not coming to pass. Guess what, sir, ma'am? If you get a divorce, when you go to church, you're divorced. When you go to work, you're still divorced. When you go to when you go youth activity, guess what? You're still divorced. When your kids go outside, guess what? They're still a kid of divorced parents. It's not coming to pass. There's some sins that you deal with that aren't coming to pass. And 
if you and I are not careful, we're going to let the devil whoop the snot out of us over things that will never come to pass. But Alan, there was a time where I, 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 I committed adultery. I committed fornication. Guess what? It's not coming to pass. And guess what happens? You pray and it's still there. And you read your Bible and it's still there. Oh, Brother Allen, I lost my family years ago because I was a drunkard and I was a mess and I'm sober now. But guess what? It ain't coming to pass. Your kids don't talk to you. Your ex-wife may not talk to you. Guess what? It's not coming to pass. And if you're not careful, you're going to let the devil beat the snot out of you year after year after year over things that will never come to pass. We got men right now all over this country who they don't even go to church tonight because we had a man who was one of the most on fire married men. He came to college when we came to college, loved the Lord, served God, was a bus captain, influencing people's lives. And one little thing happened in his history, and all of a sudden he got off track a little bit. And then all of a sudden, a year later, somebody saw him and said, and he said, Brother, why don't you come back to church? He said, Oh, no, no. He said, I have missed the will of God. And I'm like, What are you talking about, man? He said, God wanted me to be the pastor of a church. You know why? Because when he goes to the grocery store, he knows he was called the pastor. When he goes to the youth activity, he knows he was called the pastor. When he tries to sing in the choir, he knows he's supposed to be a pastor. And the devil, if you're not careful, will whoop you day and night and morning and noon over things that'll never come to pass and so here's what happens we're being tormented by the devil by the way the Bible says there was given unto me a messenger of of Satan Can you stand up right there for me Satan <laughs> he thought it was going to be something good too I can use him. He's, he's not the devil. His, his wife said he acts like it sometimes, but that's it. But the Bible says, listen to me, this is a messenger of Satan. Okay? Whatever he has, he got it from Satan. He went to Satan. Satan gave him a message. He came back to me with that message. And he began to torment me with that message. And he begins to poke and prod at me. You ever been here? You ever, you ever, you let the guard down on your mind, like we preached on last night, and you mess up. You know what Satan does right away? <laughs> you don't really want revival. Come on. Yeah. You, you said you were going to guard your mind. And all of a sudden, you're looking at the same stuff. You're dwelling on the same stuff. Look at you. You down, went down that church, made that decision. Who you think you are? You walked that aisle, made some decisions. You maybe even wept. You maybe got a hold of God. And now look at you. And he's harassing you. Well, Paul said, I did this. Paul said... I besought the Lord. Paul came to the altar and he said, Dear God, I want you to take this thorn away from me. God, I pray that you'd help him to stop. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it stops. And you're like, yeah. Man, Brother Allen came and he preached 
Brother Caleb Garraway came and he preached earlier this year, Spring Revival. Boy, you heard Brother Caleb Garraway and God began to do a work in your heart. You got some victory. It was like, yeah, man. He left me alone, and now I can, I'm going to send him back where he came from. He left me alone. And, man, now all of a sudden you go soloing, and you feel better. You're singing that choir again. It feels better. You're leading that singing. It feels better. And you're walking, and you're walking, and all of a sudden out of nowhere. You're doing, running away, and all of a sudden. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought I, I, thought I dealt with that. I thought I asked God to take that away. Ah, it worked last time. Let's do it again. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, the preacher just preached a good Sunday night message. Our home pastor here, Brother Han. God, I pray that you'd help him, and thank you for help using him to help me. And God, I pray right now that you'd remove this thorn in my flesh. God, I'm so discouraged about it. Lord, man, I thought I got some help. Maybe my wife got better. Maybe my husband got better. Maybe we were talking about reconciling our relationship. Maybe the cancer went away for a little while. But God, it's back again. Oh, God, would you, would you help me again? I need your help. And all of a sudden it stops. And you say, go back to the devil where you came from. And all of a sudden there's peace in the home for a while. And it's like, yeah. Boy, y'all, we went down at all. Man, y'all heard that good Sunday night message that the preacher preached. Man, this was good. It's good. You're wanting well. All of a sudden, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Get on a bus route. Go somewhere. Maybe you cook for a church. Hey, man, maybe go to a fellowship meeting, prayer meeting, revival meeting somewhere else. And all of a sudden, it's like, yes, I got the victory. Then all of a sudden, it's there again. And, oh, it worked last two times. Here's what I'm going to do. Father, please take it away from me, God. Remove him from my life, Lord. Send him back to the devil where he came from, Lord. Help me now, Lord. God, get rid of him in my life. He goes back. Paul said, listen to me. Three times I prayed about it. And he kept coming back. There are some things in your life that just keep coming back. There are some sins in your life that are more persistent than others. There's some wrongdoing there's some heart conditions. There's some physical ailments. Listen to me tonight. Thank you for a second. Listen to me tonight. I, I'm wearing this bracelet this afternoon. When I get home, I'll get home Thursday, uh, Thursday afternoon sometime. And I'll stay together with my family on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And on Saturday afternoon, my family and I will load up together and we'll go to the city of Rochester, Minnesota. And the, the very man whose son, whose bracelet I'm wearing tonight, and I've been wearing it all week here to remind me almost by the hour to pray for Nate Noonan. We'll go to that little church there. They're celebrating, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of starting that church. I talked to the preacher this afternoon. And he's excited about us coming. And I would love, Brother Han, I would love for the last, I believe he was diagnosed in May. I would love to go to Brother Don Noonan and say, guess what, Brother Don? We prayed one time, and boy, that cancer just shot right out of him. I'd love to say, after the second chemotherapy round of leukemia treatments, I would love to say to him, Brother Don, boy, God gave the victory. It's all eradicated out of his body. But it's been the second, third. Now they're on a treatment where they took his own cells out of his own body infused them with other stuff and put them back into his body. 
And then just over the weekend, first part of the weekend, his appendix became inflamed. And they're literally like, that would be the worst thing that could happen right now is to have to give him an appendectomy and take out his appendix because he is, his, 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 all of his fighting cells and his immune system is basically stripped out of his system right now. He would be highly susceptible to an infection. As a matter of fact, even right now, he said his fever spiked to 103.5 degrees for two days in a row because of the medicine that he was on. It gave him C. diff, and he was dealing with that infection in his body. Don't you know tonight I love that family with all of my heart. They're the reason I'm saved right now, humanly speaking. And I'd love to go to them and say, hey, it's about to pass. Just give it a few days. Be over. God may touch him. God may give him the victory. And I'm praying towards that end. And there's some positive signs and, and things going on in his body. But, hey, it's been a long time coming. You say, Brother Allen, it's only been about, it's only been May, June, July, August, September, October. It's been only about six months. Let it be your son, and that will seem like an eternity to you. Let it be your wife you got to visit in the hospital. It'll be an eternity to you. Let it be your husband who's facing, who's knocking on death's doorstep. It'll be an eternity to you. I can't tell how many prayers have been offered up for Nate Noonan. It ain't come to pass yet. I believe it will. But we're still in the middle of it right now. And you are in the middle of some things right now. The Bible said this, there was given unto me a messenger of Satan to buffet me. But look at what the Bible says. Where'd my Bible go? I leave it everywhere around the church. For this thing, verse number eight, I besought the Lord, how many times? That it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in Weakness. Listen to me. You're, you're about to get the message right now. In all this mess, here's the message. The Bible says, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, but guess what? His ugly mug is still here. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Whoa, wait, wait. There's a messenger of Satan. But he said to me, Satan is sending somebody to me. Jesus just spoke. So where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Did we leave him far behind? Preacher said that's scary. That is too because everybody knows Jesus is black. But anyways... <laughs> Bible said he had feet like fine brass, amen. 
and hair like wool. When do you ever see a white person with a hair like wool? Somebody said he must not be black because he's the great I am, not the great I is. But anyways, don't miss this truth tonight. Don't miss this truth tonight. Satan is sending a messenger. I used to read this passage, and I'm like, okay. You just kind of gloss over it every once in a while. You just kind of gloss over it when you read it. But one day I read it, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait. Why is he only sending messengers? Why isn't he coming and messing with me himself? Because here's the first message you got. You ready for it? Number one. Here's what you learn in the middle of your troubles and struggles. God is standing near. The first lesson that your troubles, that your heartache, that your struggle with sin, that your struggle with discouragement, that your struggle with health ought to do, it is ought to draw you to the conclusion that there is a God in heaven and that God loves me. And Job put it this way, he shall stand by me at that latter day upon the earth and my flesh will see God. Job said it this way, he knoweth the way that I take and when I'm tried I shall come forth as gold. Job put it this way, I'm may not know where he always is, but he always knows where I am. And I'm telling you tonight, the reason why people all the time say, the devil's attacking me, the devil's attacking me. Listen, sir, you're not that important. You're not that important, ma'am. The devil's not attacking you, but the biggest reason why he is not attacking you is because there is somebody that is standing by you that is bigger, that is taller, that is stronger, that is more magnificent, that is more omnipresent, that is more all-knowing than the devil will ever be and that's why he doesn't have the guts to show up where you are because Jesus is where you are and all he can do is harass you with a bunch of messengers isn't it amazing you ever think about this preacher you ever think about the fact that you read nowhere in the scripture where the devil came to Jesus, one time he did came to Jesus face to face you know 99.9% of the time he always sent the demon amen one time in John chapter 4, he showed up, and he got a one, two, three combination that knocked his block off and never showed up again. You know why? Because there's somebody standing by me. There's somebody that in your struggle tonight that he will never leave you nor forsake you. I said, Brother Allen, I'm in the midst of despair. Isn't it amazing that the Bible calls Jesus He's a lily of the mountaintop. When everything's going fine, when everything's good, where the sun's shining, no, the Bible says that your Savior tonight, he is the lily of the valley. You ever notice something tonight? There's not a lot that grows on the mountaintop. I was in Colorado a few months ago, back in January, preached a youth conference there, and there's a certain level of permafrost that, that nothing ever grows above that line there. I forget what they call it, but nothing ever grows on the mountaintop. But I'm going to tell you where it's always growing, down in the valley. And if you're down in the valley here tonight, and you're down in the bits of discouragement tonight, I don't know if it's because of your sin. I don't know if it's because of your selfishness. I don't know if it's because of your health or the health of somebody you love. I don't know if you've been abused or taken advantage of or you lost your house or you lost your job, you lost your spouse, but I'm going to tell you, 
There is a God that is walking through the valley. David put it this way. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. You serve a God tonight that is with you. Those of you that are struggling with some sin and you can't get the victory over that sin, listen to me today. There's a God in heaven that is standing by you and he is cheering you on, my friends. He said to, he said to even Peter, he said, Peter, you're about to deny me three times. Can't you see Peter being harassed by Satan? You just denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, don't you know him? And don't you know that Satan sent that woman out there? Don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of them? And he said, no, I'm not one of them. And she came again, just like he did to Jesus, came three times. Finally, he said, I don't know that blankety-blankety man. And all of a sudden, that cock crows. And he's like, oh, no, what have I done? And the Bible says he locked eyes with Jesus Christ. And he wept bitterly. And he went out. But Jesus already said that. And guess what he said? He had already prepared him. He said, listen, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. But let me tell you what I'm doing. I have prayed for thee. And I cried for thee. He said, that thy faith fail not. Because, Peter, I'm going to use you again tonight. And I'm going to tell you, there's some folks here tonight. The devil's been beating you over your head about what you've been doing for the last years and for the last months and for the last three hours of your life. But there is a God in heaven. There is a Jesus that is standing near you. And if you're not careful, you're going to be so much listening to him. You're going to be listening to messages coming from him instead of listening to the Savior. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? Oh, one of the sweetest things it could ever say. He is a man of sorrows and he is acquainted with grief. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Oh, yeah, there's somebody that knows what you're going through. You say, I've been rejected. Oh, yeah, there's somebody else that's been rejected too. You say, my mama didn't understand me. There's somebody else whose mama didn't understand him. You say, my daddy's far away from me. I never see his face. For 33 years, Jesus was away from his heavenly father and never saw his face. You say, nobody respects me. Nobody respected him either. They said, you're possessed with a devil. They said, you're doing this by the power of Satan inside of you. But he still went on for God. Why? Because he knew there has come a day where my children are going to go through these very things. And I'm able to enter. The Bible says we have not a priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin Jesus God is standing near you and I say this to you there is a closeness with God that you will not know until you have been through the valley There is a closeness to God, but the problem is we're trying to run from it, aren't we? The problem is we want to get rid of the messenger, and God's saying, no, I want you to keep this messenger because him being here will reveal my presence in your life. We're so busy trying to run away from it instead of realizing who's with us. You know what your Bible says? After you have suffered a while, then I will strengthen and establish you. You know what your Bible says? Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Jesus said, think it not a strange thing that ye fall into diverse temptations. Why? It reveals his presence. There was a young man, he, he took over song leading for me Sunday mornings in our church. And three years ago, if you'd have heard him give a testimony, it would have went something like this. He would have said, 
you know, my name's Philip Schultz. He said, God's been good to me. God saved my mom and dad when they were uh, seniors at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He said, I've never known one second of being in the world. He, he's never, his, his daddy was a bar, his dad's the lead singer in our quartet. Daddy was a bartender, skateboarding fool when he got saved. Mama wasn't saved. She got saved two weeks before his daddy did. He's never known anything. They got saved. They got saved one semester. They graduated. In the next semester, they were teaching in Christian school. They were just growing like unbelievable gangbusters. They began to grow, and he became our bus director. His daddy has been our bus director for over 30 years. He has brought literally hundreds of thousands of young people, including me, to church on buses. His mama taught in the Christian school. His daddy has taught in our Christian school for over 30 years. He's never had a grandparent die. He's never had a sibling anything happen to them. Mama's never miscarried. None of that junk's ever happened. And he would stand up three years ago, and he would testify, and he said, man, God's been good in my life, and I've never had a problem, but, you know, I still love the Lord. And we said amen to it. But about three years ago, his wife went for a checkup, on little baby Kinsley that she was carrying. And as she went for the checkup, I don't want to go into all the details of it, but the doctor could see feet. She was only 22 weeks. She had to be put on bed rest for the rest of the, and the doctors were doing everything they could to make her not deliver that baby early. And they said, if she can just wait one more week, two more weeks, because her eyes aren't developed right now and other things aren't developed right now, her lungs aren't developed right now. And he said, if she could just wait a little bit longer, we could, and all of our church went to pray and said, oh, God. And Phil, guess how good God is. God not only put his wife in the hospital, in the hospital, great, one of the greatest hospitals in the United States of America, but Phil works in the hospital that's attached to that hospital. He's an operating room nurse. And every day he was able to go and see his wife and see his daughter and, 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 and try to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And then that little girl at 24 weeks was born. And they said she may never see. They said she may never grow. And there were times where her fevers would spike and they said, oh, you're about to lose this little girl and y'all need to pray. And all of a sudden God began to break and Phil began to break and he began to break and he began to break. But then God went to work and God began to work and God began to work and he began to work and all of a sudden miracle after miracle started to happen. All of a sudden she wasn't following the light anywhere with her eyes and all of a sudden she'd start following those lights with her eyes. She can see. And all of a sudden, the lungs began to develop, and she was able to come out of the hospital. She spent the first three months of her life in that hospital there, and it was amazing what God did. But I remember I was on the road preaching at the time, and I came back. Brother Phil was leading that song still on a Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, he got up, and he turned to my favorite hymn song of all, Till the Storm Passes By. He began to sing those words. And Phil, I'm not saying Phil was cold and callous, but he's from a German family. They're hard people. They don't cry. They don't weep over anything. They barely hug each other in public. But Phil got up that morning, and he began to lead that song. I'd never seen him weep in church a day in my life. But he began to sing those words. In the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face. 
while the storms howl above me and there's no hiding place mid the crash of the thunder precious lord hear my cry keep me safe till the storm pass all of a sudden you could hear in his voice begin to quiver saying till the storm passes over till the thunder sounds no more till the clouds roll forever from the sky hold me fast let me stand in the hollow and by the time he got to the hollow of thy hand there's big old tears rolling down Phil's face I think he got the message maybe you're here tonight you're going through a valley you're going through it like you've never gone through it before or maybe you just came through it or maybe you're about to go into it and I remind you that there is a God that is the God of the brokenhearted. He's the God of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon down in that valley. He's standing by you. Here's the second thing we learn. Devil, you can take a seat for a minute. Here's what else we learn. Not only is God standing near us, but here's what happens. He starts harassing us again. And you're like, oh, man. Anybody ever get tired of this? It's real easy to quote, let us not be weary and well-doing when it's somebody else and not you. It's real easy to say to somebody else when they're going through heartaches, if thou faint in a day of adversity, thy strength is small. You know, the Bible just, the Bible just merely states that. It's just, listen, your strength is small. But every one of us have been through this and we've gotten tired. And all of a sudden, the Bible says our feeble hands begin to hang low. But the Bible says, he said, my grace is sufficient. And just about that time, you're about to go down for the last time. All of a sudden, out of the glory world will come an unseen hand and will give you a sustaining grace in your life. Not only do you know that God is standing near, but you'll find out there is a grace that is sufficient for you. Get away from me, messenger. He's like, I'm doing my job, bless God. There's a grace that's sufficient. Do you know why you're going to make it till tomorrow, sir? Because there's a grace that's sufficient. Those of you that run from heartache, those of you that run from trouble, those of you that throw it off, those of you that drink it away, those of you that take pills so you don't have to, you don't have to notice anything that's going on around you, those that are like Elijah and you get depressed and you go and sleep, try, think you're going to sleep your way through it, guess what? It's not going to happen. If you'll stay awake and if you'll stay sober, you're going to find a grace of God that you never knew existed. You ever looked at somebody's life and said, man, I don't have a clue how they made it through that. You know why? Because you haven't needed that grace yet. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, he's, there's somebody in the hospital, she said, preacher, I think I'm dying, I think I'm dying. He said, has God given you dying grace? She said, no. She said, well, you ain't dying then. <laughs> God will give you grace. You say, brother Alan, I'm living in so much sin. Can I encourage you tonight? Your Bible said, I think it's Romans chapter, maybe chapter 5, maybe chapter 6, 
Bible said this, where sin did abound, grace does much more abound. That word abound right there, sir, that word means to exist in great quantities. In other words, wherever sin exists in a great quantity, grace always exists in a greater quantity. That's why there's no sinner out there that I, I, I mind preaching to. That's why there's no, you can't give the gospel to the wrong person. That's why, hey, tonight, you can't preach to the wrong person tonight that's willing to say, hey, I'm willing to listen to God. You know why? Because his grace is sufficient for suffering and for sin alike. If you're here tonight, the devil's been smacking you around because of your sin. I want to tell you tonight, you can stare him in his old face again. You can tell his messenger to go back to where he came from because the sufficient grace of God, it doesn't matter how many, I love the song that said this, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Yes, Abraham, and there's a time or two where I've told him to go to where his future is. Some of y'all get that tomorrow. <laughs> listen, why are you listening to the devil's message anyway? There's a better message in the other ear. We're listening to the wrong message, my friend. That wrong message will have you in depression. That wrong message will have you putting a gun to your head. That wrong message will have you taking a knife to your wrist. That wrong message will have you, hey, doing something stupid and making a bad decision over a temporary situation. But I come here to tell you tonight to proclaim that there is a God of grace. Amen. It'll be sufficient for you. Not only that, not only do we know that God is standing near, we learn his grace is sufficient. Listen to this. We learn that there is glory in suffering. There is glory in suffering. Say, Brother Allen, how in the world am I supposed to get glory in suffering? You're not. He is. Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the glory, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know God, Brother Allen. I want the power of God on my life. I want, I want, and we don't say it, but we want the glory, don't we? But until you know the fellowship of his suffering, you won't understand why you ought to glory in him. The Bible says our light affliction, our light affliction is but for a moment, and it worketh in us a greater, I forget the terminology there, but a greater hope of glory. But the glory, sir, it's not for you, it's for him. Paul said, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. That, and then he put it this way. He said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Instead of us running around and saying, oh, why? Why don't you understand God's trying to teach you some things? Because you know what? It, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Well, I'm just suffering for, I just, you know, unsafe people get cancer too. Unsafe people get lymphoma too. 
Unsaved people get, get uh, reading over in the Philippines, Dr. Rick Martin, who's over there, he started over 600 churches. He had to deal with dengue fever that basically, I mean, he, he's only about 96 pounds anyways, soaking wet and full of bananas. He's, he's the only one skinner, skinnier than the tribes he's trying to reach. And I look at Dr. Rick Martin. The church is running about 3,500 to 4,000 every Sunday. I preached over there about seven years ago. And he started over, over, over 650 churches under his ministry. He's got over 1,000 to 1,500 Bible college graduates, men that have graduated from his Bible college. And I thought, God, if there is somebody that's going to get away, I mean, I, if there's somebody that's gonna, that's, that shouldn't have dengue fever, it ought to be him. But God said, I, I, I want the glory for Rick Martin. I want the glory. No, the Bible says he's not going to share his glory with anybody. The truth is tonight, if God answered every one of your prayers immediately, and if he, were, if he removed this stuff immediately out of your life, you know what most of you would do? You'd start writing a book series on how to get answered prayer. If God cured some of your cancer, you'd start going on a circuit. You'd get on TBN and, 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 and try to figure out or you'd come up with this magical diet that doesn't work for anybody except for you anyways <laughs> on how to cure cancer. But God seems to always do things in a way where he gets glory. I look at some of the people God's used and I'm like, man, why in the world would God use that person? You know why? Because he gets the glory. He gets the glory. I've had, I've had folks in my life, oh, Dr., uh, brother, Dr., brother Tom Bish. He's a pastor that I preached for recently. I preached for the last couple of years. And Pastor Bish, he said he had cancer in his foot, and they cut off half his foot. It came back again. They cut off his ankle. It came again. They cut off mid-calf, just under his knee. And right about that time, he was starting to heal and starting to get a little bit of victory. His wife wasn't feeling well, and they went to the doctor, and the doctor said, now your wife has glioblastoma. She has one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancer known to mankind. And they go went state to state to try to solve her problems. And they went place to place. And, and they said, we've got to have somewhere. They went to New York City. They went to Baltimore. They went to everywhere they possibly could to try to get some help for his wife. And in less than four months, his wife was dead and in the grave. And he had to stand there for hours beside his wife of 31 years, beside her casket. And you know what they're saying was through the whole time? God is good. They put it on shirts. They put it on wristbands. Even his wife that had cancer, you know what she said through every doctor's visit, through every chemotherapy? God is good. You know what people started doing? What God are you talking about? Because I want to know him. All of a sudden, nurses start to get saved. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, doctors start to get saved. All of a sudden, churches all over the country said, wow, what a sufficient grace of God. And we begin to give God glory for how he's bringing them through it. Because here's the last point. Not only is there glory in suffering, but it's not for you. There's a gladness in surrender. Paul put it this way. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take, what's that word, preacher? Pleasure. I take pleasure in my infirmities. Paul, you happy? No, but I am happy about something. When Paul finally got to the place where he said, listen, he even said in the book of Philippians, he said, the things which have fallen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul said, what I am going through, I am finally to the place where I can say, okay, God, you do all things well. How are you going to use this? And then when Paul began to see how God used those infirmities in his life, he said, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Paul wasn't saying, hey, I'm pretty happy I got beat with rods. I'm happy I was shipwrecked three times. I'm glad a day and a night have I been in the deep. I'm glad I'm struggling with this sin. I'm glad, I'm glad I got this infirmity in my body. Most people think that thorn, the thorn in the flesh Paul was talking about was his eyesight. I tend to believe that. Paul said this to the Galatian church. He said, he said if it would have been possible, you would have plucked out your own eye and given it to me. He said, where is that blessedness that you spake of? He said, you loved me so much at one point, and I believe that's meant his eyesight was giving him problems. And he said, you would have plucked out your own eye and gave it to me. Paul wasn't saying, I'm happy my eyesight's bad. I'm happy I'm suffering. I'm happy, boy, everybody's accusing me. But I believe he said, I'm taking pleasure because I see how God is using my story. A preacher made a statement one time, and we're through tonight. A preacher made a statement one time. He said, God only uses greatly those who seem to get bruised greatly. And you can point, you can point to your favorite preacher of yesteryear, and I promise you this, I can point to a great heartache in their lives. You can look at Dr. Lee Robertson. Oh, that great man built the great Highland Park Baptist Church. But he had a little daughter named Joy. He ended up, that little daughter ended up dying. He ends up burying a little girl. But out of that tragedy came, he said, we need to start a camp. And we're going to call it Camp Joy. And little boys and girls for decades came there and got saved. And are serving the Lord today because Dr. Lee Robertson lost a precious daughter. And then he can look back and say, you know what? I'm not happy I lost my daughter, but I take pleasure in that infirmity because God used it. You can, and I mean every single one of them, you can point to thing after thing after thing in their life, major tragedies. You can point to my pastor. Many of you remember him coming here last year. My pastor was raised in an Italian family, Italian-Irish family. His daddy walked out of the door when he was three years old. Never saw him again. Died in a car wreck when he was nine. Never saw his daddy's face again. But that little boy who's at three years old, his daddy walked out of him. That little boy has brought hundreds of thousands to bus kids to his church and has helped this fatherless child and I lived with him for three years. And for the last 20 years, he's been like a father to me. He was sure not happy daddy walked out of his house, but I sure am glad how God used it. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. My wife and I were expecting our first little baby. Many of you heard the song I've written. I haven't sung it this year. You were there.
That song was written because we were expecting our first baby when I was right around 25, 26 years old. And the truth is, up to that time, I really wasn't that all that interested in starting a family quite yet. But then I was like, you know what, this is the time. Let's, let's start a family. So my wife was expecting, and, but not too much longer into that, she said, I think I ought to go to the doctor. I don't, I don't feel well. And all of a sudden, we're in that doctor's office, and that doctor comes back in. I could see, I could see the tears in her eyes. And she said, well, she said, I'm so sorry to tell you this. She said, you've lost that little baby. And of course, we began to weep. And, but I, I always remember the doctor because she said this. She said, you two know God. You're going to be fine. You know, the truth is, in that moment, that's not what I was thinking. I was being buffeted. I'm like, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm teaching this Christian school. I'm preaching. I'm trying to lead music at the church. Why am I the one being buffeted? You ever feel that way? There's a couple in our church couldn't have kids for 13 years, no kids. And I'm here watching all these people out in the world, these teenagers living like a bunch of barnyard animals, and they're having babies. And I'm like, Lord, why? how can they not? But I never forgot those words, and I went home. And about two weeks later, I penned those words, you were there when I was weary. And here's why. Because my mind started to go back to all those horrible things that had happened. You see, I, when I was when I, in my senior year of high school, in about, 20, in about 6 to 12 hours, my life went. First day, second day of my senior year of high school, found out my father wasn't my father. Second day. That was Wednesday morning. I, I, it was hours before I could even talk. I was crying so hard. Later that day was Wednesday night church, just like tonight. I was sitting on the side section right here, and a young man came running in the side door of our church, handed me a little yellow piece of paper that says, your cousin's been shot in the head. Your mom's at the hospital with him. He probably won't make it through tonight. And I remember going into the ba back into the basement of that church, weeping. My, I mean, it was, you ever been to the point where you don't even have any more tears? That's what it was like that night. And, I, and I, I, the only time I've ever asked God this, I said, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And after losing that baby, all these thoughts are coming back into my head. But here's what it was like, God. It's like every time I was getting buffeted, it was like God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, yeah, and I, was, I got you through that, didn't I? And I was there for you through that, wasn't I? And I'm like, man, you were there when I was weary. You were there when I was strong. You were there when I had burdens that last a whole night long. You were there in the midnights to show me that you cared. And every time I thought I'd fall, you were there. We began to sing that song. We recorded that song, put it on a CD. About seven years ago, I was in a youth meeting, Christian school competition, convention. And I didn't even know what was going on. Some little kid before the service, he asked me to sing this song. He said, can you guys sing You Were There Tonight? And I thought, that's a weird song to sing at a teen convention. But we did it. And the pastor that got up to preach that night, he pastors the Peachtree Road Baptist Church in Sewanee, Georgia. He had a little daughter at the time. 
three-year-old daughter, Savannah, had leukemia. She was just in remission, but shortly after that, she would pass away. And Brother Reed got up, Jay Reed got up that night, and he preached on the spirits of man. And he got down to a, a broken spirit, but he, said, he talked about a wounded spirit. That was the main part of his message. In the invitation that night, Pastor Terry Angel, whose church we were at, he, he, said, boy, he said, men, won't you come back up and sing that song again? And for almost an hour, that song was on repeat that night. As young people began to, I mean, weep like I have never heard young people weep. You see, what I didn't know was this. I didn't know there was a group of 90 teenagers there come up from a church down south who two weeks before that their pastor had hung himself because it was coming out what he had done. He was a serial sexual assaulter. It was, it was all coming out what he had done and he hung himself while he was in jail. I had no idea that group was in that room. I had no idea sitting next to that group, there was three young people whose mother was a missionary to Ukraine who was literally, they didn't want to come on the trip because she might die while they were gone. They raced back home after that. She died two days after they got back. I had no idea those people were in that room. Brother Allen, you happy that you lost a baby? No. But I saw God take a little bit of thought in a, in, a, in a song and began to bring a healing to some young people. That young man that asked me, could we sing that song tonight? He walked over to me and he said, Brother Allen, this is why I asked you to sing that. He said, about six months ago, my family was traveling down I-94. And he said, we got in an accident, it flipped over, everybody was ejected from the car. And he said, thankfully, nobody died. He said, but even in the middle of that, my daddy walked away from our family. And he said, I don't know where I got it from, but somebody gave me a CD with that song on it. And that song has brought our family so much peace. You happy? No. But I take pleasure in that infirmity. This time we're done tonight. I was sitting in the foyer of our church. The missionaries to Spain were coming in. And she heard my name and the wife said, are you Calvin? And she said, yes, I'm Calvin. And her husband came in and they both began to weep as she began to tell me the story how she was eight months, eight and a half months pregnant in a prophet's chamber at a church and delivered that baby stillborn. And she said, there was nobody there, just us two. And she said, we have listened to that song every day, all day for the last, it was two weeks before they came to our church. Listen to me, I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know what you're being buffeted with, whether it's your sin, whether it's discouragement, whether it's a heartache in your life or in somebody's life that you love. But I know this, if you are not careful, you are going to miss a huge lesson. And God could begin to revive. See, revival is not just dealing with sin. He could revive your spirit within you tonight, and he can restore to you joy, and he can restore to you peace. And he may not even take away the storm, but he's real good at protecting us from the storms. So tonight, do you get the message? Our heads about our eyes are closed. 
I wonder very quickly tonight, is there anybody here that would say, Brother Allen, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I need to be saved. Here's my hand. I need to be saved. I'm not messing around. I need to get saved. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.